0: People want to know what's wrong. Is there something wrong at Alabama? Well, of course there's something wrong at Alabama if you base it on the Alabama standard. And also, just just dovetailing off that, let's be careful. I am begging you guys not to get sucked into the trap of making definitive statements on who can and can't make the conference championship or playoff in September. Let's be careful. We are jam-packed high atop an inquisitive downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It is Tuesday night, September 12th, the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm going to talk to you about what's wrong with Alabama. I'm going to do it in mere moments. I think everyone has an opinion. I figured I'd go ahead and share mine with you. We got full week three predictions. Tuesday night is prediction night on this show. You know, the sneakiest game, crazy though it may sound for those of you who grew up in a prior generation is Tennessee, Florida, Tennessee, Florida. Uh, there's another one in the SEC: LSU, Mississippi State. Like these, these games in what the most casual-minded amongst us are calling a dud of a week could be spicy. Just keep an eye on it. Don't be, don't be sleeping on week three. I've got a, I've got a feeling, by the way, and I'll also talk about this on the show tonight that we are headed towards a world of just complete and total chaos. And it may start this week. Maybe it already started, but I've got a question from one of you later I'm going to address on that front. I got a brand new JP poll. Told you earlier today on Twitter, I am very uncomfortable with the amount of movement in the JP poll. I am very uncomfortable with the amount of steam, for lack of a better term, that the JP poll is giving some teams but the J.P. Poll, as we all know, has a mind of its own. They're watching us in South Bend, Indiana, Wetumpka, Alabama, St. Paul, Minnesota, Provo, Utah. Thank you so, so much. I got to tell you something before I start the show tonight. Uh, The other night, I did something pretty stupid. So I, I started talking about the Mel Tucker thing at Michigan State, and frankly, I didn't know enough to be talking about it. And we always pride ourselves on this show of Not being in a rush to be first and not being in a rush to get something out there just for the sake of getting something out there. uh, That is called clickbait. And although we weren't efforting to do that the other night, you could accuse us of doing it because I spoke very ill informed about the investigation going on with Mel Tucker. And uh, since then, I've done way more digging into it. I have done, since the segment we did, what I should have done before the segment we did, or I should have just kept my mouth shut. So, I've taken the video down. Now, if if you are so inclined, the full show is still up. So if you want to go look at how dumb I was and what I said, it's still up. I'm not going to whitewash history on the show or anything, but um, we will not do a segment on it tonight. I am going to do what I should have done the first time and wait and let some facts come out. So yeah, I do not stand behind the words that I said the other night. Now, they weren't forceful. Like I wasn't going full court press on Mel Tucker or anything like that, but I said some things I didn't want to have said. I don't think I painted the situation in the proper light. That's what I want to say to you. So um, we'll see what comes of that situation. In the meantime, this is probably not going to be the show you see a lot of Mel Tucker investigation content uh, for the foreseeable future. But I'll tell you what you will see tonight. You will see a whole lot of predictions and you will see a new JP poll. But before that, let me stack these papers accordingly I got something to talk to you about because you've been talking to me about it. Does Alabama have issues? Does Alabama have problems? Yeah, they can. It's been a long-held belief in this sport that Alabama can't just lose a game. Under Nick Saban, when Alabama loses a game, it warrants an entire forensic analysis of the program by its own fan base, by rival fan bases, uh, by every member of the media who claims to cover this sport, including some who don't, including others who claim to but don't really. And the rest of the folks around the nation do it as well. So Alabama lost the other day. We were on the sideline for it. Uh, immaculate environment there at Bryant-Denny Stadium. But it was all for naught as Alabama went down 34-24. to 24. So for all we know, we saw the eventual national champion Texas Longhorns beat Alabama. Or maybe we saw an eventual 9-3 and three Texas team beat Alabama. But here's what I do know. I do know that... There's something that's not right about the program there right now in Tuscaloosa. Now, you need to understand for the next five minutes, I am not going to speak to you about a program using the typical college football standard. By any typical college football standard or any historical standard, Alabama's really, really, really good, top 98th percentile, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, They preach the Alabama standard there all the time. We have come to expect more from them. They're not as good as you've come to expect them to be right now. Therefore, that's the context in which I'm about to speak to you for a couple of minutes. Um, I have had a feeling about this, but I did some asking around, and I'm talking about a wide array of different opinions and, and people in different lanes and compartments that I seeked feedback from on this uh, before I said it myself. Uh, I think Alabama does have a problem. I don't think their coaching staff is good enough. You've said for a number of times now over the past couple of years, "Wow, I think Alabama got outcoached. And you say it almost confused. Like, well, that can't be the case. They got Nick Saban. They do have Nick Saban. Nick Saban doesn't have nearly as high caliber a staff as he's had in those vintage years. You're talking about a man who assembled a staff with Kirby Smart, Cristobal, Kiffin, Napier, Mel Tucker, Dan Lanning, Those dudes were all on the same staff at one time. You had Bo Davis, the defensive line coach. Burton Burns was great there for a long time. Scott Cochran, strength and conditioning. Uh, Their staff now could not tote that staff's jock. And it's been that way for a couple of years. It goes to show you a couple of things. Uh, Nick Saban's not a superhero. He's the best to ever do it. But what should have what should have never been taken for granted that was for a little while is Nick Saban just has the ability to snap his fingers and always makes the right hire. It seemed that way because he did for a long time, but Nick Saban's just as capable of whiffing on a hire or two or three as the next guy. He just does it uh, far more rarely. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is every other problem you got with this team right now. Some of you talk about game plan. Who do you think that bleeds back to? Development. What do you think that falls back on? Mentality? I hear their former players barking about this all the time. What do you think they had in the mid-20 teens? they don't have right now? Uh, Play calling? Adjustments? I'm telling you right now, um, I will be very careful with this because I don't want to burn anyone. There is a widely held consensus in the coaching community that that team right there, Alabama, does not adjust in game like they used to. Probably because you got folks that used to be the caliber of an off-field analyst for them who are coaching positions right now. I, again, don't mean to paint Alabama as a poor man's program. By their own standard, their staff is a shell of the caliber of staffs they've had in the past. Still led by the same guy. But underneath Nick Saban, those folks aren't carrying the water like they used to. Here's what I'm saying. It feels like a lot of folks, to me, on Alabama's staff, count on that script A on their chest to do the work for them. And that script A is not magic. That Crimson Helmet's not magic. The folks who came before you made it to where it seems as such. But no, you still got to do every bit the work they did. It's just they were better than you, especially that coaching staff right now. A lot of folks they had before them are better than them. Now, you can hear that. You can acknowledge that and either do one of two things. You can crawl in a shell or you can go make a name for your own self. Because the moral of the story here with Alabama or with LSU or with Clemson, or any of these teams that have lost early, is it to be ignorant to write them off. Alabama's got one of, if not the best talent rosters in the country, still. Still, that's why I'm kind of confused at some of you who are DMing me saying, oh, they just don't have the talent they once had. Like, It's one thing to say the 2023 Alabama team wouldn't beat the 2017 Alabama team. Okay, they don't play them this year. They play 2023 LSU and Arkansas or Texas, for example. Uh, None of those teams outman Alabama. That includes the one they played the other night. It may look that way for a number of reasons I just listed. It ain't that way. And Texas is really good talent wise. So is Alabama. Talent's not the reason they lost the other night. It's not the reason they'll lose any game they play this year. Their coaching staff is not what it once was, but it's plenty good enough to win every game they play. So all that's happened here. Is not Alabama falling by the wayside? All that's happened here is Alabama's come back to earth. They don't have a large gap between them and whoever the second, third, and fourth best staffs in the country are. They're right there in the mix. Probably still got a top 10 staff, truth be told, but they don't have the best staff in the country anymore, even if they're led by the best to ever do it. They don't have the best under him that they've had in the past, and they certainly don't have the best that exist in the country right now. Is it fair to question them? Sure it is. But that's about where I'll stop it. What I'm not going to do, and I'm going to talk about this later in the show, is what many others have started to do, and I think it's pretty short-sighted. You've started to say things like, this team can't fill in the blank. They can't what? That for all you know, they'll make a change at quarterback Saturday, offense will come alive, defense rounds into form, and they never lose another game. Like That stuff happens all the time. Teams click all the time. Far less talented teams click all the time in college football. It's why you watch the sports, why you love the unpredictability of it. Who's to say Alabama doesn't do that? Uh, Who's to say they don't get backed into a corner wounded animal mode style early in the year and just go on a run? There's their schedule right there. They'll be, not that this mattered Saturday night. I'm just using this as a little point of reference. They're favored in every game the rest of the way. That's not to tell you they'll win every game the rest of the way, but it is certainly and emphatically to tell you chalking up any of these games as a loss is is dumb it's just not the way it works so i think the theory some have is yeah i'm not going to pick out the individual game or games they're going to lose but the totality of playing that schedule of back-to-back road games against mississippi state and a&m and then you got tennessee you got lsu yeah the totality of that is probably going to equal one or two more losses or you may think to yourself well with the quarterback play we saw the other night I don't think that they can run the table. To that, I would say I agree. I would also suggest that they have never had less incentive than any team in history to try and duplicate what they did the other night. So I don't know if what they're going to do is going to work, but I would expect we'll see some kind of change. But with Alabama, it's not hard to figure out, guys. Look at that coaching roster right now. How many of those dudes you think are going to be future head coaches? Because I had half a dozen of them. Oh, by the way, Dan Landing was on that staff back in the day. He wasn't even a position coach. The current head coach at Oregon couldn't even get a position room, and he was on that staff in 2015. So yeah, there's a problem there. It's a very first world problem. Alabama's got to settle for having a a top 10 caliber staff instead of the best in the country. You know what that means? You just got to squeeze the sponge a little bit harder. There's still plenty in there. You just got to squeeze it a little bit harder. Immunity. And we move on. Let's predict some games, because that's really what we all gather around the campfire here. That's what we all gather around the college football table to do on Tuesday nights. Early sip from the chalice? Yeah, I think so. <sighs> I wasn't going to lead with this game, but the more I thought about it this afternoon, the more I thought this could be the game of the week. ESPN selected it to be its primetime game. Colin, here's your endpoint. point. Tennessee, favored by nearly a touchdown, against Florida. Anyone got this game on their radar? I think you need to. I think you need to for several reasons. Number one, it's a, it's a helmet game. Anytime those two helmets are on the field, big deal, especially in the South. But I want to tell you whether you live in Duluth or whether you live in Seattle or Tacoma or whether you live in Sacramento, California, you know, you probably thought some things about Florida when you watched them in that Utah game. I was on the field. I know I thought something about him and probably didn't need to be said out loud because this is a family-friendly show, right? Well, here is the theme that we always see in September. I I just said it about Bama. I'm going to say it about Florida. You have seen some teams do some things. You've seen teams try approaches and game plans, and they don't work. Okay, that's obvious to everyone once the game happens. The mistake people make this early in the season is thinking that the one version of a team you've seen will be the same version of that team you see another nine or 10 weeks. And that's not the case. In fact, when you get beaten soundly and you just suck, that entire coaching staff meets the next day and says, all right, let's completely wash that one. Flush it down the toilet. What are we changing? What are we changing? What are we changing? And the entire methodology is to not duplicate what they just did. So I don't know if Florida is gonna beat Tennessee Saturday, but I do know that perhaps... Some of the things that plague them against Utah might, just might be corrected to a certain degree here. Now, Tennessee is 0-9 since 2005 in the swamp. It's a really big game here. I was at this game last year. It was 38-33 and kneeling. It wasn't that close. Florida closed the gap late. I think they covered. I think we had a backdoor cover there late. Here is the question that I have for Tennessee fans and for anyone else. What are you at quarterback? Because I think by this point, we know you're not last year. You're not Hendon Hooker. Now, you don't have to be because defense has improved, but I wonder, because I know Florida is about to try and expose it and the Swamp's going to try and expose it, Joe Milton going on the road for his first true road start as the starting quarterback at Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee's the team America thinks they are. They're good. I got them in my top 10. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm saying, let's be real now. If you're an Arkansas fan, how much of Tennessee have you watched? You didn't watch that Virginia game. I did only because it was down the street so I could walk over there to the stadium with director Colin and producer Jesse. But most of America did not watch Tennessee versus Virginia. You just saw 49-13, and you certainly didn't watch the game against Austin P last week. And so you see a blowout against the only Power 5 team they've played, and you think they just, they just bombed away. That is not what's happening. Joe Milton's had accuracy issues, and that's not the biggest shock in the world for anyone who's watched him to this point in his career. What if I told you they got more rushing yards than passing yards so far this year? What if I told you Tennessee has only put up two pass plays of over 20 yards the whole season? That includes against Austin P, the fighting direct Collins of Austin P. last week. Conversely, and let me turn my paper sideways, they have 6.1 yards per rush this year. They're a running team right now. It's early. They're a running team right now. And so, what could we see Saturday? I I remember that Utah game. First play from scrimmage. Bomb. Touchdown. Discombobulated Florida like nobody's business, and the rest of the game was on tilt for them. Well, what if the opposite happens here? What if Florida just stones Tennessee early? And what if if they're getting some, some obvious passing down third and longs, and they're forcing Joe Milton to throw into the teeth of that defense? Who knows? Maybe the outcome's different. Which leads me to my next question point. and that is, can Tennessee's defense carry a game for them if they need to? You think about Tennessee, you think about a game like 38-33 last year. You think about them winning that kind of track meet. You think about them outscoring folks. Well, they've had 11 sacks so far this year defensively. Double-digit tackles for loss each game so far this year. Really good defensively. Mm-hmm. Now, you could argue how stiff or not stiff the tests were, but they've been really good so far. To me, that's the matchup. That's the matchup for Florida now uh, because you're not in a hostile environment. You're in your own backyard, so, so you hope those externals actually help you. But against Utah, Utah lived in their backfield. Utah had five sacks, seven tackles for loss, If Tennessee does anything like that against you, you're probably done. Unless you're picking off Joe Milton four times, you're probably done. Can Florida run the ball, though, against the front? The disruptive factor is one thing, but also can they run the ball against them? And I have no clue. They have the capability. I have no clue if they will. They were terrible against Utah on the ground. 21 carries for 13 yards, and that's all anyone wanted to talk about in the postgame. I was in Napier's press conference after that game. That's what people were talking about before he walked into the room. That's what they talked about when he walked into the room. And that's what they still whispered about when they walked out of the room. I was just enjoying the free food at that point. But last week against McNeese, they ran for 327. Jesse, is that right? 327? It's a lot of yardage. So where, where are we going to settle? I mean, if we, if we add up those two and then divide by two, it lands in like the 175 or 200 range. Hey, point being, I'd take 150 on the ground if it's complimentary and Florida plays good ball. Uh, That approach, by the way, just if you could do nothing more than negate the negative plays, if you could just negate the penalties, you had nine of them against Utah. If you could just have have a tie on first down each way and lean on that crowd, that's not even in the box score. What I just talked about doesn't gain you a single yard. I didn't talk about a single completed pass. I'm just saying negate the stuff that assisted in you shooting your own self in the foot in week one. And you got a game on your hands here. The model versus Vegas. What what does Vegas think? Well, Vegas has got Tennessee minus six and a half as the current line. Our model is a little bit shorter than that. Our model has Tennessee minus five and a half. And I have got a feeling that we're going to see an inspired performance from Florida Saturday. It's the way college football works, guys. If this is a track meet, it's Tennessee's game. I don't think it will be because I don't think at this point Joe Milton's playing that kind of football. Somehow, some way, Florida's going to find a way to turn this into a hammer fight, and not only am I going to take them to cover, I think Florida's going to find a way somehow, to pull the upset, and all of a sudden, the SEC East looks every bit as murky beneath Georgia as the SEC West does. I'm not going to get much agreement on that in the control room. I know that, but the current odds to win the SEC championship, Tennessee fourth. Uh, Florida is oh, — they're nowhere to be found. They're, Florida and Missouri — actually, Florida's behind Missouri. In terms of odds to win the SEC right now, <sighs> brutal, just brutal. Uh, let's move it along here. I got good news. Yeah, it's already time to talk about this in the show. Got great news. Uh, if you live in, if you live in the Houston area, specifically near 1041 Nolan Street, I got a new Academy Sports and Outdoors opening on the 15th of this month. This weekend, you know the rule. These are called chalice of Supremacy. They don't sell them at Academy because I don't even sell them in my own store. Who knows? Maybe in the future. But if you show up to that Academy grand opening this weekend and you prove to me that you were there, screenshot your receipts, post them on the socials. uh, Five people are taking home a Chalice of Supremacy. So that's on the line. Also, the next weekend, just to give you fair warning, 922, Kyle, Texas. That's near Austin. You guys have a new Academy Sports and Outdoors opening. Same thing. So we got 10 chalai on the line over the next two weeks. Academy Sports and Outdoors is our exclusive partner. And dare I say they're close to being your one-stop shop for everything you need at this point. I don't know. Some of you live a little bit more, a little bit more extravagant lifestyles than me. They got everything I need. I mean, everything short of like my medication and I don't take any medication. I'm not allergic to anything. So I go in Academy, I walk out, I'm 100% satisfied. I'm good to go for the week. Grills, check. Tents, check. Football tees, check. Basketball goals, check. And being able to watch this show for free, also check. Why? Academy Sports and Outdoors. They pay the freight for us, and we appreciate them so much. We are headed to Columbia, Missouri Saturday because of them. We headed to Tuscaloosa last week because of them. We got a just a smorgasbord. You know how rarely I use that word. The elite games next week to choose from, and we'll go wherever we want to next week because of them. Academy Sports and Outdoors makes it happen. All right, let's roll on. Mm. A little sunburn on top of the head. Some of us are more exposed than others. Immunity. LSU favored by nine and a half at Mississippi State. Do we think this number is too high? Judging by my mentions, some of you do. This is a Saturday game, noon Eastern, 11 local time. Strange schedule this Saturday. Three of the biggest games, really four of the biggest games this Saturday. Our noon Eastern time kickoffs. A, a dream scenario for me, obviously. So this one's on ESPN. LSU secondary. We've seen them lit up against Florida State. True enough. Um, some would lead you to believe this is not a matchup advantage for Mississippi State because what LSU's weakness is, Mississippi State can't take advantage of because Mississippi State refused to throw the ball last week. You got to hear this. You want to talk about You want to talk about a paper-popping stat. You want to talk about a pre-padlock stat. So Will Rogers, who's started for like nine years at Mississippi State at quarterback, listen to this stat. Will Rogers has 46 pass attempts this season. He's had 22 games in his career with more than 46 passing attempts. He had seven games last year where he threw the ball 46 or more times. He's thrown it 46 total times this year. Translation. They want to run the ball over there. And you know what? They've run it. 5.7 yards per carry is not bad. They've run the ball. Are they playing to their strengths? Um, that's the question that's on the table in Starkville, Mississippi. You know the old Memaw saying, sometimes you win your losses in college football. We used it for Oregon last week. We never say you should have won or you should have lost. We don't believe in that phrase on this show because if you should have, you would have. Also a Memaw quote. But what we will say is sometimes you win your losses. Sometimes you win games you have no business winning. It counts, and I'm never going to say you shouldn't have. I am going to say, though, when you're plus four turnovers at home against Arizona and you still need overtime, that's a game you're probably going to lose more times than not. Mississippi State just happened to win it. Uh, College football deals harsh lessons all the time because anyone who watched that game, You'll notice a familiar theme on this show tonight. Anyone who watched Mississippi State last week and watched them refuse to throw the ball and watched them drag themselves into a rock fight against Arizona and end up needing overtime to win probably says, well, if LSU's weakness is the secondary and Mississippi State won't throw the ball, this is a matchup nightmare, right? Well, if Mississippi State uses that same approach, it's a matchup nightmare, which is the reason I don't think they'll use that same approach. There is no incentive to replicate what doesn't work. I'm going to say that pretty much about every game we talk about tonight. So question one, and I'd love to get feedback if anyone on that coaching staff wants to share it with me. What's your approach this week? Because I watched Grambling. Producer Jesse went back and watched the game for me today. Grambling played LSU last week, 5.6 yards per carry. Put up over 200 yards on the first couple of drives, the first three drives, I think. And um, we tend to dismiss that sort of thing because it was Grambling. Well, starters are on the field, so I don't know why in the world we're dismissing it. Mississippi State has a decision to make here because there are yards to be had through the air against that LSU secondary, but apparently there are yards to be had on the ground too, and Zach Arnett has made it very clear he wants to run the ball, and they've run it pretty effectively. Again, it's just, are you playing to your strengths? LSU has wide receiver depth emerging, Okay, so LSU can score. They can throw the ball. Malik Neighbors is there. Brian Thomas is now there. They've had some other guys last week flash, and their stat sheet's not filled up by any stretch, but they, they look at those guys as guys that on any given Saturday could shine and, and go for 170 and two scores. They cannot get dragged into a hammer fight. It's another phrase I'm going to use a lot on the show tonight. You, you know what LSU should do, now that I'm thinking about past comparisons? Remember how Tennessee played LSU last year? where they came in there and they started running it up and you had to try and play catch-up, that's how you need to play Mississippi State. You need to go in there and get a 17-3 lead and make them throw the ball. Now, it's not that Will Rogers can't. It's just that he's got a coaching staff that is very, very hesitant to do so. Make them uncomfortable. The crowd makes you uncomfortable on the road. You make your opponent as uncomfortable in their own building as possible. Do what Texas did to Bama. Do what Tennessee did to you last year. LSU is... In an interesting situation here, their top three tacklers are DBs. I think we all know what that normally means. Uh, Here's my question to follow up Where in the world is Harold Perkins? And I'm not putting this on him necessarily. Uh, Matt House and that coaching staff, they have a plan. Apparently, this is part of their plan. Plans don't always have to make sense to all of us, but Harold Perkins has zero tackles for loss this season. And I think he may very well be the best defensive talent in the country. So, I don't know if that's a season-long thing. I don't know if we'll all of a sudden have a week where we say, hey, welcome to 2023, Harold Perkins. So far, it hasn't happened. Maybe this is the week it happens. What does Vegas say? What does the model say? The Vegas number on this is currently LSU, minus nine and a half. You know that we already moved on this. We moved on this game Sunday night. It is a Ramen Noodle Express best bet. I am taking Mississippi State plus the points. I will lean LSU to win. LSU is minus five on our model. So we cross, depending on how you define a key number, we cross several key numbers in betting circles. And so we're going to take Mississippi State to cover. We're going to take LSU to win. I think that come, let's say, about three o'clock Saturday on the East Coast, you could have several games coming down to the wire. And I'm telling you now, 2.45 or three o'clock on the East Coast Saturday, you're going to have a bunch of folks who swore to you that this was a sleeper Saturday who were texting you saying, bro, you looking at this, bro, turn to that channel. And you, if I know you, like I think you do, will be saying, yeah, I'm already watching. Where have you been? Cause that's how we roll. They're watching us in Boone, North Carolina. Oh man, post-it wouldn't come up. They're watching us in Boone, North Carolina. Great skiing there during mm, very, very, very deep winter months. They're watching us in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. New Lenox, Illinois is tuned in, and Okinawa, Japan, all tuned in. Thank you guys so, so much. Busy week. Very busy week. You know where I've never been before? For a football game. I've never been to Columbia, Missouri for a football game. Been through there, but never for a game. And it's time to change that. The Once Upon a Saturday tour is headed to Columbia, Missouri this Saturday. Kansas State versus Missouri. Love these kind of matchups. Love them because it doesn't feature a couple of top five all-time brand names. But this is what the Once Upon a Saturday Tour is all about. Get us into a new location. Find us what we hope is a competitive game. And obviously, someone wins this thing, and they, they win a losable game. And this is how Kansas State ended up being a contender last year. They kept winning losable games. And at the preseason, people look at the schedule, and they just assume you'll eventually drop some of these and you're not in the picture in November. Well, if you keep winning them, you're in the picture in November, and all of a sudden people are saying, where did Kansas State come from? Or maybe where would Missouri come from? Question for my Missouri brethren. Is this the biggest game to date for Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri? Sure, he's played bigger opponents, but you didn't expect him to beat Georgia. You got a shot here. It's a four-and-a-half point line right now. K-State favored by four-and-a-half. Eli's got one win against a top 25 team in his tenure at Missouri. You know who that was, by the way? It's a really good trivia question. I don't even know if our South Carolina fans know. It was you when you were ranked last year. Uh, So South Carolina 2022, that's the only win against a top 25 team. Here's your shot. Again, this is not Georgia. Uh, You're not a four touchdown underdog, although you almost beat Georgia last year. This should be a very competitive game. But is Kansas State that team again is, I think, the most fair question. So Kansas State wins the Big 12 last year. They go to the Sugar Bowl. You know what I got excited about last week, and it was off everyone's radar? Uh, Kansas State played Troy, okay? And they, they beat Troy soundly, 42 to 13. Now, that may not mean anything to a lot of you. The line was in the, the mid-teens, so they covered easily. And I can tell you there were some sharp people in the betting space. There were some sharp people in the coaching world who had that game circled. They thought Troy had an outside shot of pulling that upset. Good team down there. Really good coaching staff at Troy. And Kansas State just handled them. With a, with a trip, a road trip to an SEC venue on deck, just handled them. And then we get to this game. What I remember about this game last year, this Kansas State-Missouri game, was 40, what was it, 40-12 to was the final. Kansas State won convincingly. And they limited Luther Burden... That five-star receiver from Missouri, they limited him to one reception for nine yards. Here's why that's important, because I think he's one of the biggest and most important players in this game. Burden's gone off so far this year. 15 catches, over 200 yards. Uh, he has got to have that kind of contribution to this stat sheet Saturday. He's got to be a factor. He, I don't care how much attention's on him. They got to get him the ball. He is a difference maker, and there usually aren't many of them as talented as him on a football field. Kansas State's better up front than Middle Tennessee State. That's a weird sentence to come out of my mouth, I know. Let me say it again. Kansas State, not so surprisingly, is a better team up front than Middle Tennessee. And the reason I mention that is because Middle Tennessee went into Columbia, no less, last week, and they held Missouri to 2.4 yards per carry. Bad day on the ground for Missouri. Also, Middle Tennessee, 9 of 18 on third down. Two of three on fourth down. Kansas State executes superbly well on money downs. Uh, Kansas State is a very disciplined and good team up front. They don't give up a lot on the ground uh, to teams that are equal to them talent-wise. And so I don't think you can count on running the ball down their throat. You're not going to count on severely out-executing them on third down. If you do, that could swing a game. But here's the other thing that worries me about Missouri. They've got two missed field goals already. They've missed an extra point. I'm going to read a quote to you from Missouri head coach Eli Drinkwitz. Kansas State is a team defined by their special teams. So if that's another edge, with that in mind, let's take a look at what the model thinks. The Vegas number is Kansas State minus four and a half. The model's a little bit north of that. The model's up closer to where this line opens. So the model thought that the original number was right. We got Kansas State minus six and a half. This is a week where I think upsets could strike everywhere. Uh, this is not a confident pick of mine, by the way. We won't be putting any money on this one. But I learned my lesson last year. You'll remember, if you followed the Every Given Saturday tour last year, we had a week where we were going to watch Oklahoma State and Kansas State. The spread was one and a half. Kansas, a- Adrian Martinez is not playing, so Kansas State's going with their backup quarterback. We're there, and they proceeded to run away and hide from Oklahoma State. And I said to myself, Self, don't you pick against them again. Make, make yourself be wrong because Kansas State lost. Don't let them make a fool out of you and run it up on a team again. So I'm taking Kansas State to win. I'm taking Kansas State to cover. Kansas State's got one of the best head coaching advantages in college football. They're 33-18-1 against the spread under Chris Kleiman, by the way. That's tied for third best in FBS under that span And I think the betting market is only just now kind of sort of starting to catch up to that. So I'm taking Kansas State to win. I'm taking them to cover. And I want you to remember, remember at PateStateMaterial.com, for one week only, we've got the specialized Once Upon a Saturday Tour shirts. We are going to be in Columbia. We're going to be at a place, at a venue we've never been. We commemorate every trip with a brand new tour shirt in the store We only sell them for a week. They always fly off the shelves. Uh, That one we sold last year for Texas Bama is the third best-selling shirt we've ever had, and it was up for a week. So this is a really hot collector's item. I didn't know we would ever be in the collectibles business, but here we are. I don't even have the shirts, guys. Which just means I'm cheap, and I won't buy product from myself. But I don't even have a shirt from last week. That's how scarce the supply was on those. So if you want one, my general advice is move as quickly as you can. PateStateMaterial.com. There's a look. If you're listening on podcasts, just picture an immaculate, beautiful-looking shirt. And if you're watching on YouTube, there it is. Also, a uh, quick favor. What do we have right now? I, I, my fractions are very shaky, but we got like 4,500 people watching live, and we have 621 likes. And by my estimation, that's not good enough. So please do me a favor and click the thumbs-up button. Or like the video. <clears throat> can this happen? I'm holding a game in my hand right now and I want to know if it can happen. Could the upset happen? Let me take a little swig from the chalice. Had a guy email me yesterday saying he's tired of me taking a sip from the glass on the set. Well, it's not a glass. It's a chalice. Know the difference. And number two, sorry for wanting to be hydrated and caffeinated. I'm sorry, guy. Um, do you want us to pre-record the show and cut the sips out? That would be terrible. That's like expanding the playoff. I would be operating with a giant safety net under me. We don't want that. We want live. So um, the sacrifice, two sacrifices. Uh, number one, oh, it's in my pocket. Number one, you got to pause for a sip out of the chalice. Number two, every now and then, you got to put some chopstick on. And so why not just do both here? All right, I got a question for you guys and girls. Ladies of Pate State, a demographic that's ever-expanding, can South Carolina beat Georgia? I mean, really, the line's 27 and a half. Can they beat them? I rarely break games down with lines this big. But something was telling me, self, break this game down. So I'm going to do it. This is the Saturday, 3.30 Eastern game on CBS. We got, we got Nestle. We got, we, I mean, we got, we got our, our A team down there. We got Gary Danielson, Jennifer Dell. You may know her on the street as Jenny. We call her Jennifer behind the scenes. Uh, they'll all be there between the hedges. And everyone wants to know the same question. Are we going to have a competitive game in the second half? Or are we going to have to pull out like Bulldogs 1987 trivia to keep the viewers tuned in? Well, I've got uh, two radically different ideas about this game. The first one is this has the potential to have that Arkansas, Georgia 2021 vibe. And that's where you have an early kickoff. And this one's 3.30, so it's not quite noon. Probably better for the home team. And you've got a fan base that, unbeknownst to you, is totally lathered up, ready to go, and what you think is an inferior opponent already coming in is totally caught off guard. Arkansas came into Sanford Stadium, and just out of nowhere, it was one of the loudest atmospheres you'll ever see. I remember that so vividly. And Arkansas had no clue what to do. Spooked hogs, if you will. Well, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not going to have fun at the expense of South Carolina's mascot before October. Cocktober, in other words. But I will tell you this, if uh, this is going in a hype video, I know it is, if Sanford Stadium is anything this Saturday, like it was against Arkansas a couple of years ago, South Carolina is not winning a football game and it's not going to be competitive. So you better hope, you better hope for a docile crowd there. Hopefully still double championship hangover a little bit, or maybe you stun them early. Arkansas was not able to do that. How would it happen? When we break games down and they've got big spreads on this show, we don't bother necessarily picking the game outright. What we want to do is we want to imagine a world where the upset happens. And if it were to happen, how would it happen? And the first thing that would have to happen is obviously Spencer Rattler would have to go off. So my question is, is he going to have a chance to go off? Spencer Rattler is a very talented quarterback. Uh, one of the things every, every defensive staff talks about is the split. There's like a, It's almost so popular, it's a mainstream stat. Spencer Rattler under pressure, Spencer Rattler not under pressure. It's like the biggest gulf between a quarterback you could possibly see. Well, the thing about it is, if you got an offensive line that plays no better for Carolina than it did in week one, it doesn't matter because he's under duress all night. So you may think to yourself, well, if North Carolina pressured him, then certainly Georgia will pressure him, right? Well, Georgia's played two very inferior opponents so far this year. They are 86th in FBS in sack rate. Sacks are not the end-all, be-all. I know that. But the pressure rate overall for Georgia has not been to the standard that it had been. It's what Kirby Smart came on this show and talked about a few months ago as his biggest concern. So it shouldn't be a surprise, unless you thought he was lying to you. If Spencer Rattler's given time, then we get to answer another question. How good is the Georgia secondary? Because Carolina, South Carolina's got receivers and, and a tight end who can make plays, again, if they have time. So we get to find out about Georgia's defensive pressure, and we get to find out about their secondary. They are 21st in pressure rate the last five seasons. So being 86th through two games, it's not the end of the world. It's just something to keep an eye on. What that says is not a mirage, though. Like it's real. It, it, it could be that they're just not up to the same caliber they have been in years past. But this is a complimentary game. Okay, Georgia's pass rush didn't win titles. Georgia's pass rush contributed to the team winning titles. So it could be this year their pass rush isn't what it used to be and they just need to score more. And that's where Carson Beck steps in. Uh, I heard Kirby Smart talking about how they like their perimeter skill, especially in blocking. It just hasn't shown up in the game yet. And sometimes that happens. You're doing stuff in practice. And for whatever reason in the game, it doesn't show up. Well, when you're as good as they are and you're getting it done in practice, eventually what is practiced ends up playing. Eventually. Is this the game that happens? Or is it the kind of game where they try and shoot that ball out through different methods on the perimeter and it's a one yard loss, second and 11. And then all of a sudden the crowd is restless. You can feel a crowd groaning, by the way, you can feel, I don't know if you knew that you can mute the TV. And if it's, Six to three, Georgia, five minutes to go in the first half, and there's, a, there's a, a bubble pass, and it's second and 11 out wide. You can feel that crowd groaning. Can you force that? If you're Shane Beamer and company, can you force that? Is this a Georgia team ready to explode or ready to be exposed a little bit? It would be one of the shockers. It may be the shocker of the season if South Carolina beat them. But it doesn't really necessarily have to come in a loss. You, you have Georgia win this thing 28 to 20. And there's gnashing of teeth in Athens, Georgia the following week. There are a lot of folks asking if they're about to go on the road and get beat by Auburn, if that happens. So let's take a look at what the model thinks. And let's take a look at what Vegas thinks. The Vegas number, Georgia minus 27 and a half. That is pretty much exactly what we have. So the model, I think, had 27. Yeah, um, I just got a little weird feeling about this. So, I, um, I'm not betting any money on it, obviously. I think Georgia's going to win the game. I'll take South Carolina to cover. Now, past Georgia teams would make this a 38 6 game and they'd cover, not have to score 50 to do it. And maybe this is that Georgia team again. Maybe they are. Since I'm not betting money on it, I can take a chance and I'll, I'll take South Carolina and the points. Uh, I don't, I just, man. When I saw what they lacked in week one, we were talking the other day on the show about what you can and can't clean up in college football. Can you clean up that disastrous an offensive line performance, even against a team that's struggling in, in pressure rate? Can you clean that up? I don't know, man. I really don't know. And Also, there, there is a gear, there's a component of this Georgia offense that can, if they get in a track meet, they can win. They can win a, a shootout. They, I don't think they want to. I don't think they may need to, but I think they can. All right, let's move it on. Uh, you know it's Tuesday night. Tuesday night's a very interesting night around here because not only do we predict the games for the following week, but Colin, here's your endpoint. point. New JP poll dropping in three, two, one right now. The JP poll is not rankings. The JP poll is a power rating. The JP poll doesn't care if you won or lost last week. That's not what we base this on. Doesn't matter what I'm saying now. Half of you won't hear me. This is strictly just neutral field favorability. So I know Bama lost last week. They're not going to drop out of the top 10. It is ludicrous to think 10 teams would be favored over Alabama on a neutral field right now. Uh, Favorability is not the end all be all. It does not necessarily mean that's how a game would play out. It just means that's the metric we choose to value. It is a pure odds making approach, power rating approach to listing teams instead of ranking them. Here we go. Top 25. Let's work from the back to the front. There's, I noticed a disclaimer on the screen. I like that. Arkansas is at number 25. Mississippi State is at number 24. Uh, we got North Carolina, UCF, and Miami there. Miami jumped. Miami, I, I think, jumped a good bit. I can't remember the exact number, but they're on the rise. How about that? I don't, know if, I don't know if we expected to see Miami in the top 25, but steadily surging there. Steadily surging and could get a lot better. Had a, had a lot to clean up still from that game the other day against a and That's a checkback game. What does that game mean a month from now? TBD. That's why we got to check back in a month. Let's go top 20. It always occurs to me sometimes you guys listening on podcast can't see it. So I have to list every team. Ole Miss is at 20. Notice both of the Mississippi teams are in top 25 for us. Kansas State's here. Okay. The J.P. Paul has heard your cries in Manhattan and... Are we cooking the books a little bit just so we can claim we're going to see a top 20 team this Saturday? I wouldn't put it past us. I would not. But no, that's not what's going on. Kansas State is at number 19. That Troy win was impressive. I know it's off the radar. It was impressive. Clemson unchanged at 18. UCLA continues to rise. Here they come. UCLA at 17. Future, According to us, future Pac-12 championship game participant, UCLA at number 17. Utah's at 16. Look at the Pac-12 just littering the top 20 at this point. Here's where the movement starts. Immunity. LSU is at 15. All right, so Washington is on the move. Who knows? Maybe the JP poll was a little bit too down on Washington. Maybe they were. Uh, They, I say they like it's not an inanimate object. I'm holding the JP poll in my hands. (laughs) The biggest immunity ever. Uh, Oregon State's at 13. Notre Dame's at 12. Notre Dame has Central Michigan this Saturday. They're not going to cover, but they will win. Then they've got Ohio State next week. That's the big matchup. So so let's just pause on that when Notre Dame's at 12. Oklahoma's at 11. I know it's not here yet. Red River shootout down the road. Not too far from now. What kind of game could that be? One we're at, possibly. That's what kind of game it could be. Let's go top 10. No drum rolls necessary. Tennessee is at number 10. Oregon dropped. They they beat Texas Tech. Uh, there was some there was some wobbliness, some wobble affity about Oregon last week, and we dropped them to number nine. Still not bad. Some of you would still call them overrated. Penn State's at eight. USC seven. Bama drops to six. What does that mean, kids? I don't know where the AP has Alabama. Jesse, off the top of your head, do you know where Bama dropped in the AP? They're at ten. Okay. Um, well Alabama's at six in the JP poll. Why? Because Penn State wouldn't be favored over Alabama right now. Let's go top five. We have got Michigan at five, Ohio State at four. I'm going to get back to that in a second. Uh, Florida State is at three, and Georgia's still number one. Which team did I leave out? For those of you driving around Odessa or Permian or Katy out there in Texas, which team did I leave out? The Longhorns. I left them out. They're at number two. I think everyone around here knew the moment Texas showed the faintest sign of being back, this model, having the reputation that it has, was going all in. If it could find a third dice to roll, it would roll it on Texas right now. The model loves Texas. It has, it has had a love affair with Texas since before I even remember putting it on the show. So the model has Georgia-Texas 1-2 right now. And by the way, check out the top five. Texas and Florida State in the top five. Whomsted of thunk it. Two apostrophes in whomsted of, by the way. Whomsted of thunk it. And we got Penn State up there. Uh, Colin, freeze this. Just keep this up here for a second. So this is the point I'm trying to make with the JP poll. And although it doesn't go shot for shot with what your top 10 would be, and it's not shot for shot with what the AP is, for broad strokes purposes, this is a pretty accurate representation of the power structure of college football. So far this year, you may replace one or the other, but you get my point. A lot of folks out there are telling me that NIL and the transfer portal has totally overhauled the power structure and things are totally different now. And I'm looking at this list and I'm asking myself, which of these teams is in the top 10 now that didn't always possess the ability to be in the top 10, whether the portal and NIL existed or not? Now, you could tell me, and you'd be dead on the money accurate, that USC and Florida State wouldn't have got there as quickly. My retort would be, why were they ever in a poverty position to begin with? It wasn't because the portal and NIL were holding them down. Why wasn't Texas always there to begin with? It's not because they couldn't get talent. It's because they hired wrong. That's the long and short of it. It always comes back to staff in this sport, guys. You never have a great staff that can't get players you may have some average staffs that can go out and get players because their brand attracts it and they don't know what to do with them. That happens. It has happened at those universities respectively. So anyway, just a little commentary there. Yeah. In other words, you don't, have, you don't have teams that came out of nowhere sprinkling the top 10. It's big brands. It's just some new brands. Some new big brands have arrived that weren't there for the past 10 years, but it's, it's not really revolutionary what's happening in the sport. Now, also, we, we may have more competitive balance at the top this given year, but that's as simple as the quarterback position. I mean, Ohio State had C.J. Stroud last year. Alabama had Bryce Young, uh, Mac Jones before that, Tua. Those teams not having that right now is a lot of what we're seeing here. You know, I also, I'm going to talk about this in a second. If Georgia falls at any point, or if they just stumble at any point, the perception of college football, that's when it'll really get thrown into a blender. Because right now, we're still kind of convinced that there's a little gap between Georgia and everyone else. And I can tell you the model doesn't think so. The model for the record, if you take the gap between Georgia and however far down you have to go for a 10-point gap, in a normal year, the past decade or so, there's been a noticeable tier one And sometimes you go number one to number four and there's a 10 point gap or number one to number five and there's a 10 point gap. You have to go down to number 13 right now before you find a 10 point gap between the top teams. That's competitive balance. That is legitimately saying there are a dozen or so teams right now. There are more than a dozen teams, far more than a dozen teams that are what we would call in playoff contention. That's the last time I mentioned in the playoff on the show tonight. Well, I don't know, maybe in passing, I'll mention it again, but it's still early. That, that, that's the point. Obviously, it'll weed itself out. But yeah, it's an interesting time. And as a result, you're going to see a whole lot of fluctuation in the JP poll. There are going to be teams moving up and down wildly because if you, if we deduct one and a half points off of your overall power rating, that's enough to drop you from six to 14 because the gaps just, well, maybe from like 16 to 24, let's say, because the gaps really aren't that big. We had another question. I wanted to hit this question right quick because it's kind of it's kind of permeating college football uh, conversation this week. And I think that there's a lot of legitimacy to it. <clears throat> Why not one more sip from the chalice? You know, I could actually, I guess I could see how that would get frustrating. Maybe I'll tone it down a little bit. Maybe I won't announce the sips. How about that? I think that's a good compromise. Okay. So Brian from Boulder, Colorado, hit me up today. He said, Could we be seeing 2007 all over again? 2007, for you kids in the audience, was total insanity. I don't know how else to describe it. You need to go, um, you just need to go read about the 2007 season in college football. A two loss non conference champ won the title, and it was in the two team playoff era. That's how crazy it was that year. So, So, just to give you an idea, Like, we're talking about the four-team playoff and how not a single two-loss team has ever made it into the four-team playoff. Back then, we only had two teams, and a team lost two regular season games, didn't make the conference title game, still got put in the BCS title game, and won it. That team would be LSU. These are dangerous times, kids. Dangerous times. I'm talking to kids. I'm talking to 80-year-old men watching this show. Dangerous times right now. I think we are approaching a mass chaos event in college football. I think that the stuff that's going to end up shaping conference title races and playoff races, it hasn't even happened yet. And it's dangerous because I'm hearing people write Clemson off. I'm hearing people write Alabama off. I'm hearing people watch Ohio State's quarterback play, and even though they haven't lost a game, just assume they will, and writing them off. People have written LSU off. People have written A&M off. And I'm thinking to myself, Hold on a second now. The danger in thinking that way in a normal year is obvious. But the danger in thinking that way in mid-September of a season that could shape up like this one is you're using a normal season as your barometer for what can and can't happen. This is not going to be a normal season. This is not a season where you have the sport chock full of elite quarterback play and you're going to have a clear separation of a tier 1 and two or three of the playoff spots are virtually decided and maybe you're shuffling and jockeying for position for the fourth one all of them are up in the air every single conference is up in the air right now every single playoff spot will be up in the air and you're you're saying things like Well, Alabama can't make the playoff with that quarterback play. Well, Clemson can't make the playoff with that wide receiver play. In a normal year, you're probably right. This is not a normal year. This is the kind of year where you have two lost teams in the playoff. This is the kind of year where you leave a team for dead uh, like two weeks before Halloween, and by early November, they're the favorite to win the conference, and you're like, where did this come from? Craziness, chaos. That's what this season has in store. Also, think about what November could be. And if you want to really talk about crazy, let's loop another theme in. Let's just say I'm right. And let's just say none of the conference races are decided as we enter November. But we also have the mass chaos that's victimized some teams. We could have five Power Five races up in the air in the last year of the Power Five as we know it. Therefore, we could have a totally murky playoff picture and you could also have high-profile hot seat conversations like Jimbo at Texas A&M. And this could all be happening as we as a country give thanks in the last week of November. And I'm like, I'm in the content creation business. No one's more thankful than me. Thank Prayer emoji. Prayer is answered. But also, for anyone out there who seeks that kind of ending to the season. You thought it couldn't happen. And I'm not going to do the whole spiel about cannot versus have not, but it's important to know. Um, I think that it was always possible. One of my favorite mottos is the sport never sits still. College football was never just going to sit still and let two or three teams run it. And you didn't need to change the structure of it necessarily it was always going to evolve. That wasn't always going to be the case. It's like I could flip a quarter on this on this table right now. I could just thump it and it could be perfectly spinning. You could look at that quarter for five seconds and say that thing's never going to stop spinning. Yes, it will. There are forces acting against that quarter. You just can't see them. And it may spin for a little while, but eventually it's going to go. It's going to land on the table. There are always forces acting against the best programs in the sport. You just may not be able to see them. Sometimes they're from within, by the way. But it can happen, and it has happened this year. Now, speaking of 2007, here's why television networks... You know what? Forget television networks. I work for one. Forget them for a second. Here's why more of the country is going to be engaged. In 2007, what was crazy about it is... These programs that are normally never in contention, like Kansas, for example, just came out of nowhere. They were in contention. I think South Florida made some noise that year. Well, this year, the new teams at the party are like Texas or Florida State or maybe USC cracks the playoff. These are some of the premier brands in college football that should have never been away, but they have been away. And all of a sudden, that's a lot louder knock on the door. Like That just gets more eyeballs to the screens And I know that that's not a theme we like to hit on on this show, because I always try and tell you guys, if you care about it, don't worry about if anyone else cares about it. Like if you love Iowa State football, don't worry about what TV rating they're doing this Saturday. Just enjoy Iowa State. And good for us, by the way, for paying the Bobcats of Ohio a visit. Don't say we won't go on the road. So some teams have stumbled already. Other teams will stumble eventually the things that are going to shape these races in November have not even started to happen yet. I mean, Clemson is a one loss team. LSU's lost a game and it's not even in conference. Bama's lost a game. It's not even in conference. Like these teams, any any one of those teams could catch a favorable wind in their sail and not lose another game. And we could find ourselves, and I know it'll happen because we do it every year. We could find ourselves in November saying, wow, if this team was playing like this in week one, they never would have lost a game. It happens all the time. This is college football. Some of the guys you're starting right now were in high school last year. This is not the pros. Teams are not nearly as fixed a product in week one at this level as they sometimes are at that level. So yeah, I think we got a lot of chaos in store for this year. Ramen Noodle Express, in the midst of all of it, we try and make money anyway. We had a great week last week. We were nine and three. I am going ahead and telling you, we're probably going to bet double digit games again this week. We're already on three of them from Sunday night. I'm about to add two more right now. So let's remind you what we have Georgia Tech plus 20 and a half at Ole Miss. That was our first best bet Sunday night. We got Central Michigan plus 31 and a half against Notre Dame. We're taking Mississippi State plus nine at home against LSU. Okay, the two games we're going to add, and this is not a favorable number, but that's okay because we love the number where it is right now. We're going to take Arizona minus 17 and a half at home against UTEP, and we're going to take Louisiana Monroe plus 36 and a half on the road against Texas A&M. So we're on Georgia Tech, Central Michigan, Mississippi State, Arizona, and UL Monroe. I think we'll probably add at least four or five more games. It could be Thursday. It could be on Friday Night Lines, which is Friday night. You got to make sure that you're following on Instagram, at LateKickJosh. For that, for all kinds of peaks behind the curtain of our professional and personal lives, but also because of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, I get you on Saturdays as well. You only get that on there. I mean, well, for various reasons, you only get that on there. So, appreciate you guys so much. All right, we're going to be back Thursday night. I have got a brewing controversy that we're covering. Okay, I'm tracking it for you, and it's a new rivalry that's forming, and it is Ole Miss versus Cole Kubelik. And so, Lane Kiffen, I don't plan on having on the show Thursday night. I don't plan on having any Ole Miss frat kids on the show Thursday night, but I will have Cole Kubelick on here, and we're going to get down to the bottom of this. Like, what did he do? What gives him the audacity to go up against old Miss like this? Did he do it? Is he guilty of what you're accusing him of? We'll do cold cuts Thursday night. Also, we'll have a lot more odds and ends to tie up before we get into what could be a very sneaky good week three in college football. So that's Thursday night. Until then, at Late Kick Josh is where you can find me. For direct Conlon, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.